Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Glad that you guys are here. If you've got your Bibles, go and open them up to Luke chapter 1. As you are turning there, I also want to welcome everybody that's watching us online through YouTube and Facebook. Glad that y'all are joining in with us as well. Um, As we all find our way there in Luke 1, I want to point out a couple things that were in our announcements. The first is is budget. So if you've been around here for a while, it is budget season for us as a church as we start over our new budget on January 1. Um, And so what we've made available here at the church over the next two Sundays, we have paper copies of the budget available. And so if you want to know what that looks like, please step out there and make sure that you grab one of those. It's got all of the ministry items of what we're going to do here in missions uh, for personnel uh, with the buildings and grounds, all of that. Then on Wednesday, December the 16th, we are going to have our time of discussion with that. That's on a Wednesday evening. And so Joel will be leading that, Pastor Joel, as we talk through the budget. So if you've got any questions, be a wonderful place to get that those questions answered. And then on December December 20th, after both services, we'll have our membership give, them, give you guys the opportunity to vote on the budget. So that's number one. Number two, just like this time of year, our Christmas Eve service. And so I hope you were able to catch a glimpse uh, of the, the announcement of that coming up. Now we're doing things a little different this year, like we're doing a lot of things a little different this year. Uh, what we are doing with our Christmas Eve service, okay, there are going to be two services. And, and here's the reason why. Um, Last year, I don't know if you remember, but we had all of the chairs out that we would normally put out. This was during a non-COVID year, and everybody came, and a lot more people kept coming, and a lot more people kept coming, and so we had to put more chairs out and have everybody stacked in on top of each other. Well, this year, we are working toward the goal of being able to allow everyone to come here and worship on Christmas Eve without stacking everyone on top of each other, okay? So we'll provide two services at 4 and 5.15, and here is what what we are asking you to do. Now, I'll, and I want to confess this, all right? I know we, we did away with registration several weeks ago, and that's been wonderful. Even before we did away with registration, some of you guys did away with registration anyways, right? And so, uh, and I'll be honest with you, my family, we weren't always the best at making sure we were registered as well. And so, but we're going to ask you to register for Christmas Eve services so that we can ensure that we have enough seats for everyone that wants to attend. And so please, that includes uh, friends and family members and neighbors. We know it's a wonderful opportunity for you guys to be able to invite people who don't normally come to church, and we want to make that available to you. So please, please, please register. If you can't register, maybe you don't have the internet, you don't have the means, you can't figure it out, call Dave. Dave will do it for you, won't you, Dave? So I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Well, as we are looking at Luke chapter 1, I want to talk to you guys about something as we get into this season and this, uh, this Christmas series that we're going to be going through. And what I want us to talk about is seeing Jesus clearly. Seeing Jesus clearly. Uh, a couple of Saturdays ago, my family and I, we were, we were watching TV. We were watching The Mandalorian. 
Rule is, that's one of our favorite TV shows. You can't watch it independently. All four of us have to be there together. It had been a busy week, and so we were watching a couple of episodes because we had gotten behind of The Mandalorian. If you don't know what The Mandalorian is, right, stop Michael Brewer or, or Joel Van Ham. They'll give you the rundown on The Mandalorian, all right? It's a Star Wars TV show. And I'm sitting in the recliner. The family's on the couch. I'm in my recliner, and I'm watching the TV, and all of a sudden, I looked at Aaron, and I said, Aaron, I can't see. And she said, what do you mean? I can't see. I said, I, it started on the outside, and now as it comes getting closer and closer, I've been losing my peripheral vision, and it is now shrunk down, and it looks like I can't see anything out here, but I can just see it's almost like I'm looking through like, like a, a paper towel tube, and I'm just kind of focused in on that right there. And she said, well, describe to me like what all is going on. And I said, well, if I, if I focus on this character that's talking, I definitely know that other stuff is happening. I know that other stuff is taking place. I know that our, that our Christmas tree is here and that you and the kids are sitting here on the couch, but I can't focus in on anything else other than what my eye is directly pointing at, right? And my wife, and in her wisdom, and my wife and her concern, she's like, you know, we really need to, to take you to the doctor and figure out what's going on. And I said, nah, it'll be all right, okay? And so I haven't been to the doctor yet, and I'm seeing pretty good, so we're rolling with it right now. But we think I had a migraine. My head started to hurt, and we think I had an ocular mi migraine, and, and that's what caused that moment where I couldn't see. And you're like, but why are you telling me this story? I feel like right now, we use catchphrases about Christmas, that it's about Jesus. I mean, it's in the name, right? Christ in Christmas. There's the, the bumper stickers. We're reminded of it at the stores. We, we talk about it. We, we hear Christmas carols. We hear all of those things. And you and I, culturally, it is something that ha has been adapted. And we, we put nativity scenes in our homes. And we talk about it with people. And we send out Christmas cards with Bible verses and all of those things. But that if we're not careful, in the confusion, in the chaos that is this time of year, if we're not careful, we will not see Jesus clearly. In fact, we can miss seeing him entirely. Luke, as he writes this gospel, it's very interesting. All of the gospel writers write their gospels to a, to a different audience, but Luke, in his writing of his gospel, he addresses the individual that is going to receive this. And I want to read to you Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Luke writes and says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me, also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. 
And so what Luke does is he writes to this individual, Theophilus. In fact, the gospel of Luke and Acts are intended to be read together, and they were both written to this individual with a point and with a purpose. That Theophilus had been taught who Jesus was, but what Luke wanted to do was to bring certainty, to bring confidence to Theophilus's understanding of who Jesus is so that he can have clarity in the understanding of this. Because what Luke was concerned for Theophilus and what I'm concerned for many of us today is we can be taught who Jesus is, but still completely missing. We can be shown who Jesus is but still completely miss him. So now that you know this, every time you read any passage out of Luke, anytime you read any passage out of Acts, it's this friend writing to another friend, begging and pleading within the words that he has on paper, screaming to him, don't miss Jesus. See him clearly for who he is. And the best way to do this in the Gospel of Luke, and this is what we're going to look at, is looking at these moments in his life. We're going to talk about the words, we're going to talk about the the people, but that in that, what we're drawing to and what we're looking at is in these moments, so that you don't miss Jesus. And my concern is we go into this time of year where it's common to talk about Jesus, We go into this time of year where it's more open to to spiritual or even Christian things, where we use the phrases where where Christ is, is being proclaimed, but that in through all of that, we still miss Jesus. And so today, through, through looking at the Gospel of Luke and we'll, where we will continue on through this series, is simply looking at that. Each and every passage, what does this tell us about Jesus? So jump down to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 26. It says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdoms there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy as the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age was also, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37 is key. This is going to be through the Gospel of Luke. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
And so if you were raised, if you've been a part, if you've come to church Christmas services, this is kind of that beginning narrative for so many of us of what we see. The angel Gabriel appearing before this young teenage virgin named Mary to tell her that she is going to be with child. It's the beginning of, of, of many of the Christmas pageants that we've gone to, that we even grew up participating in. It's this moment in the New Testament that tends to, to mark this for us of what we see in this first proclamation about Jesus. But what I want us to do is to, to put ourselves where Mary is, to put ourselves standing there in that moment. And what exactly is this angel telling her? Right there, the, for what we see at the very beginning, what our minds are drawn to is that this impossible thing is going to happen. A virgin is going to conceive a son and give birth to Jesus. But there's so much more in there. There's so much more as the angel is communicating with Mary of what he is saying that help us see Jesus clearly. And so I want to look at four of those with you this morning. The first thing that the angel communicates is that Jesus is Savior. Look at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Right, for all of, all of the parents in the room, or, or maybe even the married couples that have talked about having kids, one of the greatest joys, one of the funnest times that I remember once we found out, uh, number one, that Aaron was pregnant, number two, that she was pregnant with twins, was the great discussion of names, right? When we went through, we would, I remember going out to restaurants and sitting down and giving the list of names that I liked and the list of names that she liked. I remember having the conversation back and forth of why do you like this name versus why do I like this name? I remember in some really kind arguments that we had back and forth right? Some of the parents, you know this, you loved a name and they didn't love a name. And so you've kind of got to work through and figure out where you're going to go. But, but the process for, for Aaron and I to go through in, in, in choosing Emma's name for, for Emma Marie Bradbury and Grayson's name for, for Grayson Harbin Bradbury was a very special time for us. And there's meaning and there's purpose behind the reason why we chose the names that they chose shows when I'm meeting a couple that, that's pregnant or I know a couple that's pregnant and one of the questions I love to ask is do you know what name you're going to give the child right that you're going to give the baby and if they do the question that I love that I love to sit there and hear the answer to is well why did you choose that name was it a family name? Was it a name that you've just always liked? Is it a name with special meaning? But there's so much that is carried in the name, and there's so much that's so important from the parent who gives the name to the child. But Mary didn't get to do that. Mary, in this, hears that you will conceive in your womb, and you're going to bear a son, and Mary, your name, his name is going to be Jesus. Now, in the very first, we might look at that and go, whoa, so much is, is taken away from her in this. So much of the experience as she gets to define in that very instance what her son's name will be. But there's a reason for that. 
There's a reason why God in his sovereignty did what God did. And in that, Mary, being a, a Jewish girl, would have heard the name Jesus, would have understand what it meant. Because in Hebrew, the name Jesus means Savior or Deliverer. So as she's standing there in the very first encounter of what will happen as this young little girl is being told that this impossible thing is going to happen with you, inside of you. But Mary, you got to understand this baby, his name's Jesus. And if you know that his name's Jesus, then you know that he's a Savior. You see, the very beginning of the Christmas narrative is more than about a baby. It's about the journey of God to save and to redeem for himself a people. So the angel looks at her and says, Mary, Jesus is Savior. But then he also looks at her and says, Jesus is great. Very simply, in, in Luke 1, 32, the declaration from the angel, these Four words, he will be great. Not he may be great, he might be great. Not he may be good, but he will be great. Now, great is this kind of complicated word, right? Define for yourself in your mind the standard of which you give something the term greatness. And so when the angel comes and appears to Mary and shares this with Mary, he says in a definite, this is what he will be, he will be great. Now this is complicated for us. I want to do a little experiment with you guys, and in doing so, I want to share with you some things that I think are great. And I'm going to find out if you agree with me or not, all right? So in your mind, you have to answer this out loud, but in your mind, I want you to think of what you think is the greatest movie of all time. Greatest movie of all time. Go ahead and get that in your mind, all right? We got to move through this, so if, you're, if you got to process this for a while, you're not going to get it. I believe, and will argue with anyone, that the greatest movie of all time is the movie Tombstone. It's been decided, Right? There's no, it's not up for debate. Greatest movie of all time, Tombstone. The next thing I want you to think of, the greatest meal you've ever had. See that? See Mike C just went, he's had a lot of good ones, right? Greatest meal you've ever had. Mine's simple. A steak from Hall's Chop House. I've had it once, all right? If anybody's thinking of a good Christmas gift, I'm just telling you, it may be my second meal from Hall's Chop House. Now, it'll hurt your feelings when they bring out the check, but it's the greatest meal that I've ever had. All right, let's work back on a budget a little bit, okay? The greatest soft drink, greatest soda, or greatest version of, of Coke, if that's where you're from, right, uh, of what you've ever had, all right? You got it? For me, Mine, my, I think the greatest, it's my preference, is vanilla cherry Dr. Pepper. Absolutely love it. I heard some moans from the audience. Not sure we're tracking on, on that one as well. And the last one that I want to ask you about is this. The greatest candy. 
right? You, you go into the gas station on that long ride and you, you're going to grab a, a candy snack to eat on the road. What's it going to be? With me, it's the same thing every time. It is the greatest candy ever invented. I believe it is a blessing from God and it's peanut M&Ms, all right? Yep. You want to, I heard somebody say Skittles, that's fruit candy. That doesn't count, all right? All right. Peanut M&Ms are the greatest candy. Now, here's what I want to do. By show of hands here in, in the auditorium, if you agreed with me on just one of those, raise your hand and keep it up. Raise your hand. All right, pretty good. Keep, keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. All right? It's pretty good. Now, keep your hand up if you agreed with me on two. 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 Ooh. All right. Three people. I've got more. I've got more. Raise your hand if you agreed with me on three of them. Three of them. Ooh, we got a couple people. Got a couple. Keep your hand up if you agreed with me on all four. All four. No one. First service, it was the exact same way. Right, but what is, what is the point of what you're saying? Here, here's the thing. You and I define greatness based off of who we are. You and I define greatness based off of our perspective and our experience. Some of you can't say Tombstone's the greatest movie because you've never seen it. Some of you can't say that Hall's Chop House has the greatest steak because you've never tried it. Some of you have and you didn't like it. it. It doesn't meet who you are. You see, we define greatness by our experience. We define greatness by who we are. And so when Jesus is great, what does that mean? What does it mean that he is great? Well, Jesus defines that for us. When we look through the, the gospel, I searched this week and was reading about different instances where Jesus talked about what it meant to be great. And did you know that there are four common things that he said in different messages at different times in different teaching opportunities where Jesus defined greatness? And the first way that Jesus defined greatness was by faith in God. Jesus said, you want to be great? Put your faith in God. That that is the very beginning of understanding what it means to be great. Why so? Because faith in God won't change. It's the standard that will hold. It's always going to be there. That greatness in its very uh, rawest form is found in individuals in their faith in God. And then the second thing that Jesus talks about when he talks about greatness is found in humility. It's found in humility. I love this, this illustration that, that the Bible gives us that where Jesus teaches on this. He's asked about the greatest. And he's got this group of, of followers and religious leaders that are surrounding Jesus. And he's asked, Jesus, what does it mean to be great? And on the outside of this inner circle, I mean, this circle is filled with important people, decision makers, people who can get things done. Jesus motions for a child who's not allowed into the inner circle, to come and to stand in the midst of all of them. And Jesus says, whoever humbles himself like this child will be great. You see, in that moment, as the child stepped forward of the example of greatness, that child was considered irrelevant. That child was considered weak. That child was considered an outcast. But Jesus says, look, it's not about what you can become and what you can influence and what you can do. If you want to experience greatness, experience humility like a child. 
Another time, Jesus, with his closest followers, with the disciples, is asked about greatness, and he paints a little bit of a different picture for them other than humble, and it's a little different. Jesus' greatness is found in being a servant. Jesus' greatness is found in being a servant. And when you look at so much of Jesus' life, it's at the very essence of who he was. He was their Messiah. He was their king. He was their rabbi. He was their teacher. But he was their servant. And he modeled that in every aspect of his life. And one of the most intimate encounters that Jesus had with the disciples was when he washed their feet. And what Jesus did within there was not a task in what to do. It wasn't about getting the dirt off of their feet, but it's the form in which Jesus took to do it, that he took off his robe that would identify him as the rabbi Jesus and who he was, and instead he put on a towel that would mark him as the form of a servant. And he bowed before them, washing their feet and cleaning their feet. And so Jesus says, if you want to be great, it's based in your faith. If you want to be great, it's found in humility. If you want to be great, it's found in serving. But then in the last form where Jesus teaches about greatness, he talks about it in the form of surrender and obedience to God. That this is what greatness looks like. That as we understand and, and know God's expectation for our life, we respond in humility and in servanthood, and in faith to him found in obedience. And Jesus says, this is what greatness is. And when we look at all of these, not only did Jesus teach about these, but he embodied them with his very being of who he is. Of even though he was God, he stepped out of heaven and surrendered to the Father so that he could seek and save and redeem for himself a people. So the angel appears to Mary. He said he's a savior. He appears to Mary and said he's great. But he also says to Mary that he's a never-ending king. Right? Look at the second part of verse 32. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So here we see this young little girl who's been promised to be married to Joseph. And the angel comes and says, you're going to conceive a son, and he's going to be the son of the Most High God. And he's going to rule of the throne of his father David and over the house of Jacob forever. And Mary, his kingdom, the kingdom that you think is gone, the kingdom that you think has been defeated, the kingdom that you think has been overtaken, this kingdom, there will be no end. And in these verses, these two verses right here, what we begin to see is this dual nature of Jesus, of his divine nature and of his humanity coming together in this. We see the divinity of Jesus when he says, he is the son of the most high. He's saying, Mary, he's the son of God. 
He's not just a son of God, but he's the son of God. There's divinity in his being. There's divinity in who he is, and this can't be taken from him. But also we see the humanity of this, that he is coming from the throne of his father, David, that in this there is a lineage of ancestors that's covered in most of the gospels that we can go through and that we can see from this generation to this generation to this generation so that this wonderful, wonderful, thing, Mary, is going to happen in your womb, that the divinity of God and the human of man is going to come together fully and be fully God and fully man found in this man, Jesus. And he's king. And in his kingdom, there will never be an end. And so when we begin to think about that, that in this moment, that when Jesus steps into this world, that when he is born of Mary, it's not that he would become king, it's that he is king. In that moment. Which means for us, the kingdom of God needs to not be what we look forward to, but the kingdom of God is understanding that you and I, as his servants, it's what we live in now. The kingdom that will never end. And then lastly, we see that Jesus is unique. Jesus is unique. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. So this is a, a kind of a special Christmas time as I read this story. My daughter will turn 13 this year, which is what most people think that, that Mary was at roughly around this age. And so as I was reading this and as I was studying this, I began to think of my own daughter. And, and one of the things that I love about my daughter is she loves to ask questions because she wants to know she wants to understand. She wants to process in her mind what is going on. How do I understand this? How do I process this? And then what is my response to it? It's a beautiful gift that God has given her. And I read these verses and we're sitting there and we're looking at all of these things that the angel is telling Mary, this young, vulnerable little girl, and this question comes to her mind that I'm sure must have been racing through her mind this entire time. How can this be? I understand what you're telling me, but how can this happen? Because I'm a virgin. I'm not married. I haven't known a man in that capacity. So how can these things happen to me? And how can these things take place? And what the angel says is this, it's going to be by this unique work of God that has never happened before and has never happened again. You know, we use that word unique. We use that, the word different often. But in our world, nothing is ever truly unique. 
Lots of things are copied. Lots of things are replicated. Lots of things may be different from the norm, but we can find duplications of those. But when it comes to this moment, what the angel is communicating to Mary is that Jesus is unique. There will not be another who is like him. And in fact, what he's come here to establish, what he's come here to do has been done by no one will be done by no one, and in fact, it can't be done by anyone. The uniqueness of Jesus. So the way that he's going to teach to love is going to be unique. The way that he's going to teach to sacrifice is going to be unique. The way he's going to talk about greatness is going to be unique. The way he's going to talk about purpose is going to be unique. And I read this this past week, and it blew my mind as I, as I thought about this. The, the author that was talking about the uniqueness of Christ, he, he said this. He said, the uniqueness in Christ is found in this, that while he gives life in order to do so, he lays down his own. Done by no one. Impossible for creation, but found only in him. And so as we begin to to go through this Christmas season as we begin to go through this time that we understand that it's about Jesus, which means that he's our Savior, that this Savior, that in the embodiment of who he is, it's a greatness that the world has never known. That this Jesus that we speak of, it's not that he might be a king, but that he is a king, and we're a part of the kingdom and the kingdom is not bound by borders or by languages, but it's defined by him. And this kingdom cannot be defeated, and it will never end. And that in this, Jesus is unique. But here's what Jesus does with this, is he calls us to be unique as well. Jesus calls you and I to go forward marking this. Later on in his life, as Jesus had aged into a man and he was beginning his ministry, crowds had begun to follow Jesus. He had been saying things differently. He had been doing things differently. There was a buzz in the air about him. And, and people from his small town and from the towns around began to look for him and, and gather around him. And so he began to, to retreat up to a side of the hill. And once he got up to the side of the hill, he had an audience who was there and they wanted to hear his words. Here's the man that they had heard stories about. And now they wanted to hear from him, his teaching, his, his philosophy. What, what was his teaching going to be in this world? And seeing them, he chose to define them a uniqueness. A uniqueness that he would challenge them with and what would ring true today, what it means to be blessed. You know, it's a phrase that we use, go and be blessed. I hope God blesses you. But oftentimes, when we desire that for ourselves, when we desire that for each other, we're not saying that with the uniqueness of Christ, but we're saying it out of the norm of the world. But Jesus defines it. And in Matthew 5, starting in verse 2, Scripture says, 
And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so Jesus looks at a group of people, beaten and confused, feeling oppressed and sad, who's had their joy robbed from them, and who want what the world has. And Jesus says, no, this is what it means. Go be different. Go be unique, because this is who Jesus is. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the heart of Luke, who desperately wanted his, his friend to, to know, to have certainty concerning who Jesus is. And so, Lord, he poured out his words on these pages, communicating to him who your son is so that he may find life and find it abundantly. God, as we go into this time of season, as we go into all the things that fill the chaos and the, and the busyness, or as we go into this season that fills with a lot of earthly happiness, may we be reminded of the constant notion of who Christ is, that he is Savior, that he is great, that he is king in the beauty of the uniqueness of God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, to know who Jesus is is to respond to Jesus. To go from here, to move toward him in transformation of your life. My prayer for you today as we walk away is that we'll understand what it means to embrace the blessing that comes from God, a life dedicated to Him. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we worship Him?
Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.